Welcome to the People Experience Pulse podcast, your gateway to the new frontier of human experiences at work. On the PX Pulse, we're all about elevating experiences, fostering belonging, and building remarkable workplace cultures in a fast evolving world. In today's episode, Vicky sits down with Christian Hufele, a cross-cultural specialist and the founder of The Culture Mastery. Christian's passion is to help people discover commonality when they are overwhelmed by difference. You'll learn how Christian's German heritage influenced his view on change and accountability, the importance of embracing change and how to overcome the challenges associated with it, as well as how Christian uses vulnerability to navigate difficult conversations such as race and cross-cultural competency. Stay tuned to hear success stories and learn how addressing cross-cultural competency and embracing diversity has a positive impact on building a sustainable business. Over to you, Vicky. Are you looking to make your workplace more human? Check out my friends at Cool Leaf. What I love about Cool Leaf is that it helps leaders create connection, engagement, and recognition. You can celebrate team wins, reward colleagues, and have fun with your coworkers. You can build a culture of appreciation and feedback that boosts morale, retention, and performance. Listen to this clip from their podcast, The Great Retention, to hear how Cool Leaf transformed a company culture. We needed a way for people to connect. And there was people who would work together and talk to each other on the phone every day uh, who didn't even know them that well. And they had no way to appreciate them. What we liked about Cool Leaf was that there is that social element to it. Cool Leaf gave us an opportunity to allow our people to appreciate others that they worked with on a daily basis, but just never saw in person. Not only did it give managers a tool to recognize their people, but from a culture perspective, it allowed people to connect. And it was really cool as a chief marketing officer to see some of the interactions that were happening on the feed, because that's something that we wouldn't have had if we didn't have a tool like that. Coolleaf also simplifies measuring and improving the employee experience with pulse surveys, rewards, and integrations with your everyday tools. To learn more about Coolleaf and how it can make your work more human, visit coolleaf.com slash try coolleaf. That's C-O-O-L-E-A-F dot com slash try coolleaf to book your free demo today and see how top workplaces use Coolleaf to put their people first and thrive. Welcome to the People Experience Pulse. I'm your host, Vicki Flyer-Hudson, and today I am thrilled to have as my guest, Christian Hoefler, the founder and CEO of The Culture Mastery. Christian is an expert in intercultural communication, training, and coaching, and he helps people from different cultures understand each other, and more importantly, work effectively together. Christian, thank you for joining me today. Vicki, thanks for having me. It's an honor. It's a pleasure. We've known each other for many years, so I'm excited about this conversation. So let's get right into it. (laughs) Here we are, a German and a Jewish person talking about the people experience. I feel Mm -hmm. like there's some significance in that fact. So can you share your personal journey and how your German heritage has influenced your perspective on change and accountability, particularly in the context of cross-cultural competency in the workplace? That is a fantastic question and a a loaded one because it prompts a five-hour answer, uh, which probably we don't have time for. Um, The the journey, I think, began 
when I was a teenager and my parents agreed to my pressing demand that I want to go on a foreign exchange program. And my parents thought, oh, little Christian wants to go to England for a three, four week summer program to improve his English. No, little Christian said, nah, I would like to go to the United States and do this for a full year. To which, to my surprise, my parents said, well, if you think you're up for that, we support you. Mind you, I'm the first one in my family to receive higher education. Both my parents come from vocational professions and academia was not something that was prevalent in my family. So I was the one breaking that mold. And the fact that my parents would let me go and say, well, I'm going to be gone for a year, see you. And I'm going to live with a host family in the upper Midwest. That was not my expectation or anyone's expectation in, in our family. And when I returned, and I was I was 17 at that time, and that was when there were still two Germanys. So those of you who know history enough can now guess my age pretty accurately. So I, I returned as a 17-year-old into West Germany, which was then West Germany, and I realized that the word normal, and I put normal in air quotes, um, is, is an arbitrary concept and doesn't work because what's normal for one group of people may not necessarily be normal for another group of people. And at age 17, I didn't really consciously recognize this, but it was in me because I lived through it for a year. And the, this returning to my native culture from a year abroad also brought with it the, the realization that I'm weird and everybody else is too. And my friends didn't understand me and I made experiences that nobody could relate to and belonging became difficult and it became something that I had to think about consciously. How do I belong? How do I connect with people who are different from me, who have different life experiences? So I think that started that journey. And you said, you're a Jewish person. I'm a German by birth. That is a little bit of a interesting um, layout for a conversation, so to say. Um, and I think it is, especially for, for somebody of my generation, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer. And when I went to school in Germany, um, it was still a mandatory school field trip to visit a, um, Holocaust uh, memorial site. In my case, it was the extermination camp of Dachau, just outside of Munich. And when you're 15, 16 years old and they guide you through the barracks and the showers, which turned out to be gas chambers. And you see all the relics that they meticulously maintained from that era. That is a, a wake-up call to deal with your cultures, with your country's history in a very... Uh, in a way that really gives you goosebumps, gave me goosebumps and chills. Just thinking about it now still has a visceral reaction for me remembering that, right? So there is that part of the journey as well. Absolutely. And, and I can tell you, as a Jewish person hearing this, this is extremely significant because I think change and accountability are two huge parts of being a an effective people experience leader and especially building in that sense of belonging within your organization. But in order to do that, you have to be accountable for what's not working 
Yeah. And it, it sounds like your childhood and growing up really gave you a very sharp window into that. So let's talk about that a little bit more. That change is such a big part of making diversity and inclusion and belonging work and making it integral to everyday workflow. But considering the discomfort and the pain associated with change, how do you encourage leaders to embrace it and to manage some of the associated challenges that come with change? I wonder if it's really pain. Um, I think it's the anticipation of pain that causes discomfort. It was anticipation of pain for me going through that that um, concentration camp experience and, and many other transformative experiences I've had through my life that I, I enter these experiences expecting there to be discomfort or pain or something that's not nice. And once I'm through the process, I look back and say, well, that wasn't so hard after all. Actually, I learned something that is helping me be better at what I do now. So I often wonder if it's the um, erroneous anticipation of pain that holds people back from that level of accountability um, and not the actual pain. And so I, you asked me, how do I encourage people, leaders to, to embrace that? I, I go in with my own experience. I said, well, this is what happened to me. And I've done this before you. And this is how it felt to me. And it was not, it didn't hurt as bad as you thought it would, or it, I'm still here to tell that story. And I'm here to tell it from a better place than I was in before. So if you're willing to join me to go to a place where you'll be better than you were before, what's holding you back? Mm. Yeah, I heard a couple of really important themes in there. One is this notion of the anticipation of pain and discomfort versus maybe what actually ends up happening, that you realize you're resilient enough as a leader to make it through that. And also the sense of being able to go alongside people who may be worried about that change and discomfort, which of course affects positively the people who are on the receiving end. So for someone like me, the fact that you were able to confront that pain decreases my pain as the affected person, right? That when people are denying the accountability, that's where we kind of get into trouble. So as a well, cross, yeah, go ahead. I, I often make this analogy and I know it's a false equivalence and I know it's it's not an exact uh, uh, analogy to to historically compare two events. But if you look at Germany's Holocaust history and the United States slavery history, they are comparable as such that one history was confronted systematically by a society that swore itself to change and not to let this happen again, and another society who missed that opportunity. So the, those those could be learning moments too. Say, hey, do you want to have that cancer? persist and grow or are you willing to eradicate it with the root and and not have it metastasize any longer and 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 heal from that and i think 
and this is something that my grandmother taught me uh, when she talked about her sister who was suffering from hip pain and she wasn't willing to uh, put herself under the knife and get a, a new hip. And my grandmother said, well, apparently she's hurt. She's not hurting enough yet. So once the pain of staying where you are gets unbearable and the, the prospect of maybe some change that's discomforting or not what you would like to do, but the prospect of having a better state after the process, after the transition, once the, the perceived benefits outweigh the painful status quo, then you will be willing to make that change. That's so true. And, and it's almost like what I'm hearing is there has to be a recognition of those benefits in order to say, I'm going to put up with the, the pain and discomfort yep. for sure. And I'm curious because these discussions are the root of how we get to, you know, root out the cancer, right? We have to actually have the conversation. So how do you navigate as a cross-cultural practitioner? How do you navigate discussions around race and even just cross-cultural competency, sort of given the historical tension that's going on right now? Well, I think I have, I have the benefit in this country, in the United States, I have the benefit of being an outsider. I have the benefit of being a foreigner, particularly being a German who can, in a self-deprecating manner, talk about my own country's history and, and my own culture's shortcomings of the past or the present. And as I make myself vulnerable around this, as I make myself a, a target of criticism or, or uh, even humor, I lower the temperature in the room and I allow others to do that too, right? So uh, I, I put myself in the center of the target first and let them take shots at me and and show them that vulnerability is 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 nothing that destabilizes me or that makes me a weak person and once they see that model then it's easier for the participants in a room to to follow along yeah and this is so crucial because for people experienced leaders this is our audience uh, for the most part for this podcast that ability to be vulnerable and share stories and personal experiences is one of the only things that seems to be able to cut through some of that tension, isn't it? And you're in a very unique position to do that. And, you know, again, someone like mm -hmm. me is very grateful for your ability to, to share that. Let's talk it's a little bit. It's not been like that though. Yeah. It, it, it took me, I mean, I'm, I'm a man of a certain age now you would have asked me those same questions 20 years ago, I probably would have not had a good answer for you because I was still too much in my ego and still too cocky about my abilities that I, I know I wasn't the person who was uh, comfortable himself to be vulnerable in front of others, right? So that comes with practice, I think, that comes with a maturing process and some good mentors along the way. So Christian, I'm hearing definitely a theme around how vulnerability can kind of break down the ego, which is a huge part of change and making it past the discomfort of change to make things better uh, for, for everyone in a company. That's what the people experience is all about. And it sounds like you really use the power of storytelling to uh, shake that up and, and wake people up. So let's talk about that a little bit. 
Can you share an example of a success story where addressing cross-cultural competency and embracing some of these tensions around diversity and inclusion have had a positive impact on building a sustainable business or creating a, a good, positive people experience? Well, as you said, it's, it's storytelling. It's usually stories that I experienced myself. So firsthand um, recollection of these memories is usually more impactful than stories from hearsay. Um, there, there's one story that I've been telling repeatedly, and this was when my family and I were still living in the greater Chattanooga area in a predominantly um, white um, environment. I wouldn't say monocultural, but definitely not as diverse as the city of Atlanta, where I presently live, or other more diverse urban areas in North America. And some of our friends were um, an African-American family with children in similar ages to our daughters. So there was a lot of connecting links between uh, our families, and we we spent some actually Excellent, excellent social time with each other, uh, had dinner at each other's houses, went out, had adult conversations. And it was clear very early on that those conversations would go deep, um, deeper than I was used to with other people that I met in the United States. And I embraced that because I thought, OK, there is a, a connection. This is this is a friendship. And at some point I asked um, my friend Aaron said, hey, I noticed that whenever we go out, that my wife and I are the only white people in the group. Are we, and I said this tongue in cheek, I said, are we your token white friends that you take out for fun? And and he laughed at that and said, yeah, you're the only white people we hang out with because you're the only white men who would ask me that very question to my face. And I didn't understand. And I asked him, what do you mean? He said, well, here in the South, a lot of white men are apprehensive around the race conversation, as are black men, and we rather ignore it. And you went straight for the juggler and didn't care about it because you don't share our heritage. You don't share a history. You're not a white American who has to battle this historic baggage of having potentially had ancestors who were slave holders or slave owners, or rather um, people who incarcerated enslaved people. I think that would be a more precise um, semantics for that. Um, I said, yeah, you're right. I don't have that history. I have a different history. I have a history of great pa grandparents and great grandparents who murdered 6 million Jews. And I am very apprehensive around, or I used to be quite apprehensive around uh, Jewish people when it comes to connecting, because I felt like I need to be on my best behaviors, on my tippy toes and be the quote unquote good German. And that's when we realized that there is a connection between those two psychological events or, or, or phenomena. And over the course of years, he took me through a lot of these conversations in out in public where, where we spend time together in restaurants, bars, 
coffee shops and where I learned what white privilege is, which was a concept that was foreign to me. I hadn't read uh, Dr. D'Angelo's book about it yet. I was oblivious to white privilege and he showed it to me in real life situations. And being able to tell these stories in audience that can be corporate in mixed groups and basically pulling back the veils of, uh, yeah, of, of fragility, pulling back the veils of psychological safety, so to say, and say, hey, let's face this pain for a little bit because it's there for some Others in the room might not recognize the pain, but this is what it is. And this is how I was introduced to it. Are we ready to talk about this now? So being this outsider, I don't get a pass to do that. But I'm, I'm not confronted with being the one who does damage to his quote-unquote own people. Right? I am the outsider putting the spotlight on something that the insiders have been looking away from. I think that that's been my best way to tell these stories. And I know this doesn't translate to other practitioners in the field who don't have my background, but that's what's been working for me. Well, and I think it does because a theme I'm hearing underlying what you're saying is that you are not only telling the stories from the perspective of an outsider, but you also seem willing to recognize that the pain of the affected people is more important than your own comfort. And so you're willing to put yourself in those situations uh, because it's so important to do so. And I think that's where people experience leaders can really learn from what you're saying is you're choosing to put yourself in these situations in which you might be uncomfortable, but you recognize that the pain of the affected people is more important than your discomfort. That's kind of what I'm hearing. That's an old adage too, and I, 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 the older I get, the more I believe it. It's true that pain usually is a temporary experience. It comes and it goes, but regret of not doing it will haunt you forever, right? So what would you rather have being haunted by not having tried to change something that was not right, or are you okay with having avoided that pain, not knowing how bad it is to go through the change? Absolutely. Well, again, uh, I'm very grateful to you for being willing to do so. It's hard to imagine that there are people who would just refuse to even acknowledge the Holocaust, but that is the very common, and, and it's very common for people to not acknowledge our racial history here in the U.S. So let's talk about how, because we can have these conversations and they're very deep and meaningful, but at the end of the day, a lot of people experience leaders have to demonstrate those sort of tangible benefits and business impact of what we're talking about for getting buy-in from executives or from the organization as a whole. So how how do you ex- how do you encourage leaders to demonstrate the benefits of cross-cultural competency and competency in DEI and belonging? Well, and again, this this may only be my personal experience. My our clients, I would say 99% of our clients come to us not because I'm convincing them of it. They come to us because they have a problem they want to fix. So they usually have recognized something's off. They may not always know what exactly it is that is off. And I may not be the person 
to help them. It may be something that is strategic or operational where I will tell them, hey, I can point you in the right direction, but I'm not the one to address this. But if it's a, a, a human issue, right, interpersonal, communicative, uh, cultural issue, then we're, we're usually quite quick to to isolate the issue and 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 uh, introduce a, a strategy to i don't want to say fix it because i don't think culture needs fixing but to uh, to educate and 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 redirect some of the leaders approaches right and i usually don't lead with that your benefit will be you'll make x amount of more dollars doing this or you will save x amount of dollars I usually lead with, so you have something that's not working and you are dissatisfied with how it is currently um, un unfolding in your organization. How long are you willing to endure that? Or are you willing to find an easier way or be uh, more effortless in, in, in working with one another? How would you like that? And I, I don't quantify it with a dollar amount because it's, it's, usually not easy to to put that dollar amount on it yeah. um but i mean really I, I can't make this up i got an email today maybe two hours before we started recording the session from a company that used to be a client of ours um whom we haven't done any work with in many years and i've known some of their senior people who left the company and told me that the company, quote unquote, doesn't get it. They they have cultural issues. They they're a German company who fails to understand the German market, and they're unwilling to address these issues. So there, I, I knew a lot about the company's issues. We had worked on them in the past. They refused to implement the changes we suggested. And today, I get an email that the company will be shutting down December thirty first of this year. Their U.S. operations, and I immediately contact the former employees of this company that I still know as I, Hey, have you heard your former employer is uh, uh, closing up shop? And both of them immediately responded to my text message and said, yep, not surprised. They have, they've had cultural problems from the beginning and that's why we left. Mm. So I can tell this story to future clients. Are you willing to lose your best people? Because you're as an you as an organization are unaware of the cultural challenges your operation is facing. Do you want to be the next headstone on a graveyard of failed transatlantic businesses because you are comfortable where you are now? Up to you, your choice. Right? Yeah. I really love what you said about the ease of it, because maybe a client could battle through some of these challenges, but wouldn't it be better if there was ease and flow to it? If it, if there was just an easier pathway to the goals that they've set for themselves, right? That's kind of what I'm hearing from you, which is so important these days because everyone's overworked. A lot of folks are overburdened since COVID and there's staffing shortages and so on. So having that ease of pathway to your goals is crucial. So Christian, what are your final thoughts or advice for our listeners who are primarily people experience leaders and organizations who are 
looking to navigate some of these tensions that may exist in a diverse workforce. Uh, if they were to take away one practical thing from you today that they could go and apply, what would that be? Gee, putting me on the spot here. Um, <laughs> um, well, I'm not sure if I have one thing, maybe a series of things that are just randomly popping up in my head. Uh, if you're a people experience leader, then listen to your people. Let's start there. <laughs> um, and in order for you to be able to listen to your people, you need to give an opportunity to tell you something, which means they need to feel safe to tell you things that aren't working. So you might want to create a work environment where all your people feel safe and emboldened to point out circumstances that are detrimental to the organization's success. And as you listen to that, um, believe your people and because they, they are the ones in the trenches doing the work. And if you can distill from that input that your people give you that there is a diversity issue, that there is a, a cultural challenge or whatever other challenge that may be, then take inventory and say, do we have the internal resources to alleviate these challenges? And if we don't, who do we need to provide us outside counsel and outside guidance to get that done? It can be somebody like Vicky, it can be somebody like me, it can be somebody, I don't care who it is, as long as you solicit the resources you cannot identify within your own ranks and, and get help. No, none of us got to where we are just by doing it ourselves. So we all, all of us had help at some point in our lives. That's true for individuals and that is true for organizations. That's true. And that's really the purpose of this podcast is to share what leaders like yourselves are doing in the workplace to create a sense of belonging. So Christian, I have really enjoyed our conversation. I've learned a lot from you. I'm sure our listeners did too. And you have given us some valuable things to think about and some tools for how to be better and work better with people from different backgrounds, leverage that power of diversity and inclusion in both our personal and our professional lives. So I encourage our listeners to check out the show notes for this episode to learn more about Christian and the culture mastery. And thank you, Christian, for sharing all of your insights and experiences with us today. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I hope that you found a nugget or two in, in the stream of consciousness that I shared with you. And looking forward to connecting with each and every one of you who reaches out. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another insightful episode of the People Experience Pulse. We hope the words shared in this episode have inspired you as much as they've inspired us. Now the real challenge begins, putting what you've learned into practice. The change you create, no matter how small, could be the spark that ignites an exceptional people experience in your organization and beyond. If you found value in today's conversation, we'd greatly appreciate it if you took a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Your feedback helps us deliver high-value content and reach more listeners like you. You can find other inspiring episodes and additional resources at our website, thepxpulse.com. Join our community at thepxpulse.com. Thank you again for joining us on the People Experience Pulse. Until next time, remember, the heartbeat of any organization is its people. 
Let's make every pulse count. 